You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the latest episode of Just Getting Started right here on Westwood One. I am your humble host, Rich Eisen. Last week, we started this podcast. We got this baby off the ground by talking to the Academy Award winner, Matthew McConaughey. Today, we're going to go straight into the world of business, and we're going to talk to Damon John, the creator of FUBU. He's now a shark on Shark Tank. As we all know, he's a, a best-selling author. I'll give you the full introduction in a second, but in case you are somehow just new to us and you didn't hear the first episode, go ahead and, and download it. Matthew McConaughey was, as the kids say, lit. It was great. And he might have actually been lit. But at any rate, long story short, it was thrilling to have him. I love that guy. Great stories. And that's what this podcast is all about and is going to be all about. And I hope you're going to take us up on the offer to subscribe and uh, come along for the ride. Come along for the journey here because that's what we're all on. We're all trying to be successful. We're all trying to make the most of us. We're trying to make the most of a situation. We're trying to make a nice living and provide for our family and live up to maybe our dreams. And a lot of us have gotten waylaid by COVID-19. A lot of us have gotten waylaid by something out of our control. And sometimes maybe it's something that we did and we're trying to learn from. So what I want this podcast to be is a group of people who you want to hear from, obviously, and a bunch of stories that you're going to enjoy hearing as well, obviously. But I want you to take something away from this. If you're somebody out there that's looking to get started on your dream or try to reboot your life or try to change things up, that's what this pod's for. We have a lot of successful people who have taken many different paths to success. And let's mine those roads and try and give you something portable for your own journey. So let's get started with Damon Johns. He is a man with many hats, including the Yankee hat that's on his head. He is the founder of Fubu. He's a shark on ABC's Emmy Award-winning series Shark Tank, two-time New York Times best-selling author and the owner of the Shark Group here on Just Getting Started, Damon John. How are you, Damon? I am well. I'm amazing. I'm healthy. And uh, thank you for asking. Of course. Absolutely. One last thing I left off, uh, I think, that maybe defines you. Hollis, Queens. That's where you are from. What in the world was in the water in Hollis, Queens to have so many people of note and so many successful people coming out of that section of New York City? You know, I uh, I don't know, but what must have happened was probably, you know, once you started to see one or two make it, you know, then they have cousins and brothers and sisters and you just started, to, it started to change your way and your thought process, I think. And, and for those who don't know, I mean, um, as I look at it, it was, uh, you know, LL Cool J, Run DMC, Salt and Pepper, Tribe Called Quest, 50 Cents, Ja Rule, uh, Onyx, and so many other, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, not Dr. Dre from California, but uh, MTV, and then literally another another dozen that, that came out of the same, you know, square five miles. Well, from the sports world, I don't want to forget Stephen A. Smith, too. I mean, Stephen A. would be very upset if we did not Stephen mention a. Smith. him. Anthony Anthony Mason, uh, Sweet Pea. Uh, I mean, so many others also that I can I can think about. Yeah, you have not lost the New York accent. 
no matter what. You, I could still hear it in your voice, Damon. You still got it. What would you be talking about? <laughs> I didn't realize that I have an accent. I thought that everybody oh, yeah. else does. You know, I'm from Staten Island. I'm from another outer borough. And you could sort of hear that in my voice right there. I kind of I, I kind of got it there. When I first started doing sports casting, when I was first starting my career, Damon, I would say things like NCAA tournament or, yeah. you know, or the state of Oregon, you know, and, and I, you know, I learned to have to dial it back a little bit, you know. I never thought to dial it back, actually. Uh, you know, my wife is from Pennsylvania, and every time I say, well, that's hilarious, she'd say, hilarious? <laughs> well, that's part of your roots. That's part of your origin story, and that's what this this show's all about. Talk to folks like yourself who have been so successful about how it all started and what we can maybe glean from your journey. So where where would you say your your beginnings started for the lack of a better phrase like where do you think it all started for you damon well it all started growing up i mean i was born in brooklyn but age one i moved to hollis queens and it all really started you know there's a couple of different stages of it one by understanding that your day job would never make you rich and that hard work was the only thing in education in any form of grabbing an education was going to be the things that are going to help you be successful and that came from my uh father who was uh, uh came over here from trinidad at 16 years old and swept up the streets until he made enough money to bring his siblings up over and my mother who was a uh, one of three but had all the hand-me-downs from the two boys in the in the house and my uh and you know my great-grandmother was a slave that is one part of my beginning being loved by by her and my parents would get divorced and at 10 years old i'd never see or speak to my father ever again and realizing that my mother was the man of the house, and my mother worked very hard to to give me the things that she could afford to give me an education. So that's one aspect of my life. The next thing that made me was growing up in the community of uh, of any community, but this new emerging technology of hip hop. I call it technology. This new emerging way of communication called hip hop. When I was about ten or twelve years old, it came out of the Bronx and made its way into Queens was this 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 way that like Instagram or Snapchat, we were starting to understand that the plight that we had or the loves and the passion we had in our community was the same in the streets of Compton, was the same in the streets of Florida, but we didn't see that on the six o'clock news, but we heard that through hip hop. That's why I called it a new form of technology or a new delivery of information. When did you first realize that hip hop could be a pathway for business success? When was when did that start? Well, from an unrealistic standpoint, I understood that at about fifteen or sixteen when I first was going on the music tours as a as a roadie on the music tours, not getting paid, but just kind of like running around and like many places in the country or the world, a new cheap drug started to hit the streets called crack cocaine. And unfortunately, as you and I spoke about Hollis Queens being the home of a lot of legendary people. There were actually legendary drug dealers that President Reagan would talk about in Hollis, Queens, and they really took advantage of a lot of the community. But many of the young men and women in the community never saw a person of color on TV who was successful that didn't come from sports and had what we feel was a great ability and a great discipline. You know, if I looked to TV to see somebody that looked like me who was an entrepreneur, it didn't really look like Fred G. Sanford, the junk man, was doing that well. <laughs> and so if you never saw that, uh, many of us moved over to that side of the world, or of that world, and would be dead or in jail by 21. 
I happened to go on those music tours, the first rap music tour, uh, which I don't want to date myself. Go for uh, it. I had Fat Boys on it, LL Cool J, Houdini, and Big Daddy Kane. And I went on that tour, and I, I realized where – and not the whole tour. Uh, let me let me explain. They would have a spotted date, maybe in Philadelphia, maybe Troy, New York, or someplace like that. And I would go to one of those dates, and I would see somebody like a LL Cool J standing on stage with 20,000 people screaming over him, waving their hands. And this man was making money. And I said, you can actually – make money do something you love doing something you love you don't have to risk everything um and that was my first point where i said i know that i can make money there so i tried to be a rapper i tried to be a break dancer and uh obviously it didn't work out (laughs) well it's funny it's funny you say that damon because you know when i when i first realized i couldn't hit the curveball i couldn't make a jump shot I couldn't do all that. I knew I'd have to talk about it for a living to get to where I wanted to go. So I guess you you had the same revelation in your area of, of your world. I did. And I stumbled so many times. And I started so many little businesses that I started out of the need to want to make money and think I was going to be a good jillionaire in one year after this business. And they never worked out. I fell mm-hmm. on my face. I was also the guy who was too cool in school that after... I finished high school. I took the one year off of college, really, to party and club, and I never went back to college. And I laughed at all those kids in school who were applying for colleges. And I turned around. I was 22 years old. I was working in Red Lobster. And the kids who I laughed at were coming back, and I was serving them shrimp in Red Lobster with tartar sauce on my apron. And it struck me, maybe I'm the idiot. I never thought you know, at that point that I would ever be a person, the level of success that maybe I, I have now, I thought that, first of all, I was never going to do anything illegal. And obviously, I can't rap. So I'm going to start just working every day, nine to five, or whatever it is. Maybe I'll get a city job. Maybe I'll do something of that nature. But that was where I found FUBU because uh, I was working the day job. And I was happy with it. I'll be very honest. I'm always happy with the decisions I make. But I found a hobby called fubu because i just love to dress people and i wouldn't realize that i would be here with you today so before we get a little deeper into that that was i guess your epiphany moment was at a red a red lobster where you're just looking down and you're just taking stock and it sort of hits you that there's a different path you need to take in order for you to achieve what you knew at the moment like this you just felt it in your bones like this was a moment that you just needed to pivot right then and there that was your moment yeah, you know, I kind of did the whole thing of, you know, thinking about, you know, if you keep doing the same thing, getting the same results, you know, uh, you know, what is it? Are you that's called insanity. And I had to have a very humbling moment with myself. You know, I, I still till today keep having those moments. But I took inventory and I said, if I keep going down this path, I'll never grasp any level of success that I'm aiming after. And I started to settle a little bit with maybe the rest of my life. I will, you know. Just be a waiter. And it's fine. You know, that could be fine, too. And then I started yeah. to, you know, my, my part of aspiration a little bit was if I if I do a great job as a waiter, maybe I can get into a program of hotel restaurant management. But that was as high as I was aiming at that point. So now let's get to the FUBU part, obviously, because this is where things begin to take a major tick up for you. 
why FUBU? Where did this come from? And where did it all, I guess, start with a big break for you? If you can walk me through that, Damon. Well, my career has been a million big breaks. FUBU started when um, I was really looking for some clothing to wear, and um, in which I'd already supported so many of the designers that are out in the market at the time. And then we just started to hear this kind of this, they started to get this backlash because we started to hear designers did not want people of color wearing their clothes or they didn't want inner city kids or rappers, whatever the case is. And I'm sure those are rumors. Or I hope they were rumors of most of those companies. But then Timberland had put in the New York Times something of the nature of we don't sell or make our boots for drug dealers. They're no longer owned by the same company. And they, they retracted a lot of the things that they said or, or attempted to. But it hurt me dearly because I was spending so much money on Timberland boots because I loved them almost like the way the kids love Jordans and Yeezys, that I went home and I created a brand, FUBU, Fourth Bias. A lot of people thought it initially it was about a color, but it was about a culture. It wasn't going to be a bigot the same way I felt at that time, the comment that came out of Timbaland's mouth was. And I created my brand. Um, but what were the moments? I mean, I have so many moments. I mean, the one I remember is I sewed a bunch of hats by hand and uh, Good Friday, 1989, three o'clock in the afternoon, I stood on the corner and I sold $800 worth of hats in one hour. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, and that was the moment I said, I will never work for anybody ever again for the rest of my life. Reality set in, I went back to Red Lobster for another five years, but the feeling was good at that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I love that because so many people are looking these days for a sign and not only maybe a sign, but a way to find their inner strength and do something with it. You know, it's so simple, like to see you where you are now and think, well, this is always going to be the case. And perhaps that is the case because you will always going to work hard. You were always going to say, I'm not going to leave it up to somebody else. But what would you say for you for designing FUBU and to to decide this is what I'm going to do and to find the strength to go out on the street corner and sell it? Where does somebody find that? How can somebody manufacture that if that's what's necessary to find their way forward? I think that's a good question. I don't think that I've ever been asked that before. I think that it is starts off with you mentally knowing your why, but also putting the proper lens on you know what are you doing what is the investment and what is the worst thing that can happen um and i think that uh you know the day of standing on the corner of selling fubu making the 800 worth of hats i would close fubu down three times from 89 to 92 because i ran out a little bit of a capital but i would always look at my downside and at the end of the day I felt good about selling people something that they felt good about. But I'm going to tell you and be very honest why I, after that, for the next uh, three or four years, I would keep doing it. Number one, I felt important because people saw me wearing my own product. I wasn't making much money. Number two is when I went onto a video set and I only literally had the same 10 or 20 t-shirts for about two years, when they kicked everybody else off the video set, I was like, I'm here to dress the artist. I wasn't there to dress the artist. I was there to talk to the girls. I was there to get the free food. I was there to watch the artist. I mean, most people would pay to see their favorite artist perform. If I got to go to a video set and I got to see Run DMC or LL Cool J perform, Mama said, knock you out. Are you kidding me? This shirt is giving me the ability to go on there. So, But what I 
found is I kept finding more joy and more joy in what I was doing. And then I started to find ways to monetize that. And usually any entrepreneur or successful person in the world, they find a joy. They find tomorrow when they educate themselves on a better way, more way efficient way to do it and more ways to add value to their customer. You know, I mean, you've been there already. You could not be this. You could not be the Rich Eisner that we all respect and value if you weren't opening a Cracker Jack box every morning or every week when you found different ways or different people walked up and you said, Rich, I love the position you did that. I never thought of that or whatever the case is. And, and that is the driving force on every single thing I do. I don't care about the downside. I only look up the upside. I don't risk too much. And I'm a little bit vulnerable. That's a great way to put it too, Damon, is vulnerable. And not being fearful of of feeling it and using it maybe as a, a springboard to never say no and always bet on yourself. I, I, I'll never forget when I was trying to get you know, an honor job on, on TV and I would just pack up my tapes, my resume tapes in these big, thick, you know, three-quarter inch boxes. It was huge. And I put on a suit. I hopped in a car and I I road tripped upstate New York looking for just knocking on doors of news directors saying, you know, I, I would make sure I wouldn't go during a news hour because that was definitely a way for me to say, I don't know your business and I don't respect your business when I show up at your busiest time to ask for, you know, your time for, for me to interview with you, even though you're not looking to hire. So I, I remember I I went to upstate New York. I walked into somebody's house. It was still a startup because I sent a tape to a, a, a 24-7 news organization that was just formulating in the in in Albany, Schenectady, and Troy, New York. You mentioned Troy before. And they were they were just starting it up, you know, in the seat of New York State power to be a 24-7 news channel. And I sent a tape to them to be a sports guy. And they responded. They got my tape. And I just showed up on this person's step thinking it was a business. But instead, it was his house. And I, I knocked on his door. And he was in the bathroom when I showed up. I swear to God this happened. And the person who answered the door said, hold on a second, I'll go get him. And I, like, all in the family, I heard a flush of the toilet upstairs. He comes downstairs and he says to me, to my face, I don't have time for this shit. I don't have any time for walk-ins and slammed the door in my face. And I thought, so, I was so low. I felt so low. And I sat in the car and I had a, a moment, sort of what you had at the Red Lobster. And I'm like, I am not going to let this man define me i will not let that happen but i was vulnerable i could not have been more vulnerable at that moment and that was that was the lowest moment for me man when i was looking for work big time and what did it do after that there you know you have to have a strong rejection muscle in any form of success um especially when you know listen and everybody who's getting intimidated right now when i say that every parent has a strong rejection muscle because when you deal with a two-year-old or five-year-old a 10-year-old you have to have a strong rejection muscle but what did that do to build character in you why did you get back up i didn't think i had any choice and i also firmly believed in myself I really did. I really thought I am not going to let this guy who might have had a bad day or clearly the business wasn't off the ground. I mean, he was really, you know, he's dropping a deuce in his own house. You know what I mean? When I went and found him, to be honest with you, I literally thought to myself, this is not going to work out. And then I said to myself, I'm not going to let this be the end of it because I'm going to I'm not going to give up because of this guy. 
And and sure enough, you know, interestingly enough, I got I wound up getting a job in Redding, California. Um, had a great stint there, and ESPN hired me from there. And in year two, year two of being on ESPN, they invited a whole bunch of media critics from around to show up on the Sports Center set and do a Sports Center, you know, next to a real anchor, just to see how it put them in the shoes of the of the on air person. The person I was sitting next to was the 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 sports critic for the Albany Times Union. I'm like, I got a question for you. Did this, you know, did did, did do you have a 24 seven news? television outlet and he goes no i'm like did one ever start would you know if one was going to start and he goes yeah and he goes never started and i sat there and i just nodded my head i'm like damn straight i didn't let that guy take me down he never got out of his house and i'm sitting where i wanted to be that i i really had that moment now we know why it never started because he he did that to a lot of people and you never know who could have walked in that door and thank god he to you that's what I said that Damon, because I'm like, what's more, you know, I guess enterprising that I found you in your house, you know, like that's the type of guy you should say, I want to hire that person. But anyway, I, I bring that up because you, when you say vulnerable, that kind of hit a nerve in me, obviously, because to me, that is important because you still have to say vulnerable is not a bad word. It is not. It is something that can be actually used as strength. It really can. I believe that. Putting yourself out. It's, it's another way of saying being willing to learn. It's its so many different ways than being vulnerable. And people respect it. The ones who respect it want to help and they want to work with you. And uh, not 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 that it's charity or pity. You know what I mean? So I, I, so I, I think is key to being an entrepreneur, key to success in life, being open to learn, being vulnerable, and also having empathy for others. I guess in that respect, before we move on to the here and now a little bit here, Damon, what was that moment for you where you thought, you know, you were told no, or you were rejected, or you were made to think that your concept of FUBU and what you were doing, I know your mom mortgaged the house to help get you started to give you some capital. I know that you did get some support, but what what were the moments where you thought maybe this wasn't going to work out? I, I created my own company, and after about um, eight years, I was, you know, I was frustrated. I wasn't getting as far as I could, even though I had all the hype around me, but I didn't know what I didn't know. I went over to some guys who uh, had answered an ad. You know, they interviewed me of doing a, a manufacturing distribution deal. And I left and I called them back, you know, and at that time was answering machines. And the guy who ended up, uh, you know, discussing it with me didn't answer that answer machine for about five months. And I, you know, and I just felt totally defeated and ignored and kind of just stupid i would go to the magic trade show i'd already went one time and the magic trade show was a trade show that we all sell our apparel at and i would go six months later to that trade show and that guy and his brother would see me walking down the, the aisle and they happened to have a booth where they were talking to really big buyers like macy's and all these people and one of the biggest buyers in the industry pointed over and said, is that the guy with the FUBU shirt? To his assistant and said, go get him. We have to have that FUBU. I don't remember talking to that person, but I went home. Week later, oh my God, guess who calls me? Hmm. I answer the phone. He goes, hey, let's come, why don't you come in and let's, uh, let's do the deal. And I was young. I was scrappy. I thought that I was Mr. Big Entrepreneur. And I, I negotiated out of ignorance. And I was just, I, I, I wouldn't have done the deal, but I was like, you a fucking asshole. You didn't call me back. Now all of a sudden you're calling me. You're full of whatever, whatever, whatever. If I come there, 
Do not waste my time. There better be a deal signed in I don't know how long period of time. Me not knowing a really great deal, we should go through some paperwork, and there should not be a yeah, sign this. Right. Got one. I got. I got one of the most amazing manufacturing and distribution deals with Samsung Textile Division. Out of that, those two partners of ours, Norman and Bruce Weisfeld, have been like my brothers for the last thirty years. The deal came out of totally of my ignorance and me feeling at the lowest point of my life and negotiating ignorance, but they understood where I was coming from at least, and they had empathy and they educated me on why they did it. Now, being a shark on Shark Tank who gets pitched every day, yes, I wouldn't answer my calls either. I would have just said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry, I'm looking around. Do you mind? You know what I mean? I mean, uh, is it okay for me to entertain somebody else? You know." <laughs> Life is funny. God is good. And, uh, you know, it worked out. The lens of perspective can sometimes be laser focused. No doubt about that. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's talk about the here and now, Damon John. What does Damon Don demand? I'll give you the floor. What is, what is that, Damon Don demand? Yeah, so Damon on demand, listen, you know, I think that we're a great time uh, for people who are, as you see in many Things when people dial back like 08, when things came like Uber and Airbnb, people are creating a lot of businesses now. And with all my books and with all the stuff I do on Shark Tank and everything else, there are a lot of people that feel that uh, they need things a little laid out for them. So what I created was uh, an amazing digital course with all the most commonly asked questions, everything from the difference of a patent to a trademark to how to find funding, where to find funding, when's the right time to find funding. And I put it all together on this course called Damon On Demand because I want people to learn from my $20 million worth of mistakes. Trust me, you don't want to call future partners and curse them out. Most people right now probably have common sense about that, but I put more technical things in there about how to build a company because a lot of people that I see that I try to invest in, they're not investable. They cannot structurally take in the money. A lot of times, that's what happens to people. So, uh, Damon on Demand is all of that bundled into one. It is, uh, you know, it, it is something I think that is of great, great value that I created because I just realized there's so much misinformation out there, um, and hopefully, due to all my years of hopefully educating people the right way, they they know that I'm going to come to them and give them what they need. Well, it's not just that too. I know you talk a lot about financial literacy, you know, and I think that's an important thing to mention here as well for people who are trying to. You know, how many people have a good idea, but they may not have the financial literacy, how to connect those dots and make it work and also understand what a balance sheet would could even look like. How would you approach that uh, if somebody is trying to become more financially literate? Listen, we grew up in a we grew up in a world and in a time when the education system is broken and financial literacy is something that we should be taught in school, just like we're taught shop. You know, I, I always say, I'm not sure, Rich, if you or I are going to need to go build a birdhouse, but I promise you we're going to need to balance a checkbook, whether we are running a Fortune 500 company or uh, running a household checkbook. And we don't have financial literacy. So, you you know, kids end up going to school 
and getting out of school at 18 years old and getting to the level where they can now acquire $300,000 or $500,000 in student debt that they won't pay up till they're 45 years old mm. for education they're not really certain that they want to take. Uh, so financial literacy is something that is extremely important. It's not how much you make, it's how much you retain. I was on, a, I did something called Black Entrepreneur's Day, had Shaquille O'Neal as a, one of my great guests, and I wanted people to be, again, vulnerable. And he said when he made his first check, he didn't realize that he had to pay taxes. <laughs> I could make a joke that at LSU, they probably didn't take his taxes out of that check either, but I don't want to go there. But, <laughs> or Blue Chips, we saw, obviously, who he played in Blue Chips. I've been to many rookie symposiums with the NFL. And there are, with the Players Association, back when there was a rookie symposium where all the drafted rookies were in a room together and at a symposium, there was a, a balancing of the checkbook breakout session. And a lot of a lot of young studs, big men on campus, now hoping to be in the NFL, they didn't know. No idea. Zero. Yeah. I, yeah. I sometimes go on Clubhouse and I answer questions that people don't know. You know why? Because fin finances scare people, but they have to deal with them one way or another. And a lot of people don't know what something called capital gains is or, you know, or, or and how to reduce your taxes. And it, it is American to pay your taxes yes. and or how when a check comes in, what do you do? Listen, I came from a community where we thought you're supposed to put the money under the bed and, and cash is a depreciating asset, but I would never open a bank account. Why? Because for some reason, I believe the bank is mean and they're going to take my money. No, if I screwed up and not paid my taxes and, and they have to freeze it, that has nothing to do with me. But I would pay 5% a 5% cost to have my check cash. That means if I'm making $30,000 a year, or let's say I'm making uh, $50,000 a year, 2,500 is just to cash my check. When That's not financial intelligence because if you put that in the bank uh, over the course of 10 years, you know, in, in some stocks increasing about 10 to, you know, whatever, 15% a year averaging over, you know, that $2,500 is probably going to be probably about $30,000, you know, that you saved. You just spent mm -hmm. that on cashing your check. Anyway, financial intelligence is extremely important, whether you're buying widgets or whether you're buying bread for the home. On March 9th, you're already a, a, a two-time best-selling author from the New York Times. you got Power Shift coming out on March paperback. 9th. What's that about? Yeah, Power Shift uh, coming out on paperback on March 9th. What, what do you want people to know about that? Well, you know, it takes you about it takes me about a, a year to write a book. Uh, this is my fifth book, and uh, the reason why I write them is not just to write them because I'm dyslexic. It's challenging to write these books, but I write them because whenever people ask me about things, I recommend a book to go read, whether it's me or Tim Ferriss or Malcolm Gladwell, whatever the case is. But I notice that so many people over the course of the years were like. Oh my God, um, I, I read all your books, but I don't have power to do that or somebody got to give me power. So I wrote this book two years ago and you know when it hit? Because this is the anniversary because it's the paperback. It hit March last year. No. Bang, as soon as COVID hit. Sure. I'm glad I wrote it because this was all about taking power in your life, being able to shift and being able to find your destiny. So there are four really key components to success, um, but to negotiating as well. Number one is knowing your why, what you want out of it. Number two is building influence. Number three is to negotiate what's in the best interest for the person on the other side of the table. And uh, number four is how to nurture relationships. Shark Tank has really ruined a lot of people's minds uh, or their perceptions of what a negotiation is. The real world is not like this. Hi, sharks. I'm Damon John, and in eight minutes, you got a deal. It is no, it's not like that. The first time you meet somebody, 
it's the dating period. And guess what? If you don't get a deal nurturing that relationship, I may recommend you because I like the way that you dealt with me. It may not have been for me at the moment, but I may recommend you to Rich. I may recommend you to 10 other people after that. So there are so many different key things in there, and I've highlighted so many people that I learned from, from um, uh, Billie Jean King, who changed the face of sports, to Pit Bull, to Chris Jenner, who took three three young ladies that, you, for the most part, you would think can't sing, dance, play a sport, but became uh, number two or three of the most Googled people on the planet. People like Mark Cuban uh, is in there, the billionaire Mark Cuban, who will show you how to negotiate to empower yourself. So that's what Power Shift is. It's coming out. Uh, it, it is March 9th, excuse me, and it is uh, you know on paperback, and people can get it anywhere and everywhere. And I promise you, it'll help you change the way that you think about negotiation because life is not what we accept. It's what we negotiate. And that is a, a very popular saying. And I love to remind people about that. It's a great saying. Before I let you go, I do have to ask you about Shark Tank. You know, the reason why the show is so successful is because people do want to strike it rich. They Everybody does think their idea is the best. Everybody does think that their idea could be a game changer. And, and, and sometimes they're right. And not only is it just uh, throwing somebody like a guppy in the shark tank like that, but it's the shark's who are also ready to eat each other for the good idea that's right in front of them. It works on so many levels. What is it like when the cameras are off and all the sharks are just chilling out or trying to make deals amongst each other or what, arguing over something that just went down? What is it like on that set when uh, when when the cameras are not rolling? Well, generally what happens as soon as the cameras go down, I go and I, I pull out all the chairs and I nestle all the sharks in their little position and then I pull out the whiteboard and I teach them another lesson of life. That's what usually happens, but Very for good. the most part, um, for the most part, listen, you know, we got so many deals coming through that um, when we, we, we shoot in two different pods, so we see 100 people in June and 100 people in September, we shoot 10 hour days and we only have a half an hour to, as you say, drop a deuce and eat and do whatever the case <laughs> is. Uh, and uh, so we are all that said, we are answering uh, emails and texts and yeah. things of that nature. We don't think about the last deal that went through because we know we're preparing for another one uh, this last season because we we were, uh, you know, um, restrained due to COVID and we hadn't seen anybody for a long time. We were very happy to see each other. Even Kevin O'Leary, I was that's, happy to see him. Yeah, um, happy. And that's pretty much it. And I think that, um, you know, we do relax. Now, in normal times, we go out, you know, we go out and we have a good time sometimes, have a dinner and settle in. Who picks up but the check? Who picks up the check? We all pick it up because we realize that most of the time we pick up the check when we're at most tables and it feels weird. So we just all pile our cards on 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 the check and um and, and that, that shouldn't really happen. But it is great to see everybody. We've been doing it now twelve years, going on our thirteenth, and it is amazing. And I'm truly inspired. I keep learning from my other fellow sharks. No sharks have ever been like, I just I left this at home. I mean, I'll get the next one. That's never happened. There has been somebody that a, a card was declined. Oh, um, oh come on. Come on. It, it was, huh? A card was declined and it was a it was somebody who the, it's the last person that I ever think a card would be declined. And it was obviously a reason. And I was like, <clears throat> I'm going to get this one so that I can go down in history saying that I paid for your check. Uh, and we probably all know who it is uh, right now uh, when I just said that. But it was the it was the 
the one that I would like to say that for, you know? Oh, okay. That had to be a great moment where, like, literally, you just ate a meal, but now you knew there was a big meal to be made over that card being rejected. That's amazing. And if you know how the Sharks talk, you could tell in your in sports, if you know he said, whatever, DJ, you know that, you know who that is. Well, of course. <laughs> that is fantastic. All right, so before uh, I let you go, Damon, uh, one, I guess, uh, you've given so many great pieces of advice, but if there is somebody out there who is downloading and listening to this pod, as I hope they do, to try and get inspired to to just get started, what would you say is the overarching advice that you would give to somebody who is thinking of you know either switching tracks or starting with an idea that they think should be and could be a winner, wanting to believe in themselves and feeling vulnerable? What would you say? Damon. Okay. Yeah. Good question. So depends on the people around you. I want you to know that you can do it because every single thing that you see in the world started off with one person that had one idea that took one action. So it is doable. Another stat is that if you look at the thousand wealthiest people in the world on Forbes, 65% of them are self-made men and women. That means they had no money. The true people who are successful they take a step forward, they act, and they learn, and then they repeat. Take affordable steps. It does not cost you anything to educate yourself. Do not use that you have to go to this college. Pick up books. Listen to this podcast. Anything else. Keep your day job. Keep educating yourself. But you got to understand you're going to have to sacrifice something. I slept for three hours a night for five years working a Red Lobster and working FUBU. But if you do that, then what happens is if you don't bet too much, then you can recover from any mistake that you make. If you educate yourself, you can avoid those mistakes, but you got to keep doing that and finding mentors because mentors will continue to help you show you when you're in the right direction. And if you fail, if it's something you love, then you spent time doing something you love and just didn't work out right now. And maybe you'll start all over again a little more wisely, but you'll be able to recover. Damon, I really appreciate it. Truly. I love the chat. Uh, love that uh, you were kind enough to say I'll 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 pop on a new pod on just getting started. I really appreciate it. Truly, it is an honor. Are you kidding me? I'm I'm happy to be here. I, I gotta brag. I'm gonna brag about this too in about ten years when it is the biggest thing ever. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Rich, I was I was on there. I was I was on number five or six, but I was there. I appreciate that. And you tell Cuban pay his bills. Okay, tell that's Cuban. right. <laughs> You said it, not I. I didn't say the name. I just threw that one out there. That's Damon John right here on Just Getting Started. I hope you enjoyed that chat. You know, my New York accent, like I said, went away when I was starting my broadcasting career up in Redding, California. And a lot of folks in Northern California were like, what is tournament? What does that mean? But just hearing his story, you know, it kind of gave me an idea that maybe as we continue on, on this pod, I'm going to try and, if I can, get everybody's epiphany story. But I, by that, I mean just having the moment where you realize that you need to change things up or you realize that the way you're doing things or the way you're conducting yourself or the way that things are going is not to your liking. And you have one of those epiphany moments and you say, I'm going to do something about it. That the power is within you to find a solution. And I'll share my epiphany story with you right here to wrap up this episode. Before I did go into TV, I was in print journalism. And I graduated the University of Michigan in 1990. And I took a job with my hometown newspaper, the Staten Island Advance, or as the locals would call it, the Advance. They put the accent on the first syllable. 
And so I'm, you know, working for the Staten Island Advance, which had me as a summer intern while I was with Michigan. And I'm not doing sports, which is what my dream was to be. My dream was to be a sportscaster, if not a stand-up comedian. We can get into that in future episodes as well. Maybe we'll get a, a comic on as a, as a guest. But the reason why, again, I'm telling you, this is my epiphany story, is I was covering the police beat, the cops beat, going from one police precinct to another on Staten Island. There were three of them. And you would hop in a car and go from one precinct to another to another and literally stop in the, to the precinct and go up to the desk and ask if there's something going on. And also look through the... Uh, police reports for burglaries because my hometown newspaper would report which houses got broken into. It's a small town, Staten Island. It's the size of a a medium-sized city in the United States, but in New York City, it's a small part. It's the smallest borough. And uh, I remember going from one precinct to the next, and I had this big, huge walkie-talkie next to me where I'm listening to the police radio, and there was a, a sheet that I had. Police was not my normal beat. This was just on a weekend where I was filling in for somebody, and you'd hear codes. You'd hear like 1014, 1020, 1025, and every code that was coming out, I was afraid it was like some you know, major situation going down uh, on Staten Island. I was missing. I was just fearful of missing something. So I'm going from one precinct to the next, and an ambulance zooms by. And I'm thinking, okay, this might be something that I need to go cover. And I followed the ambulance. And I went through some red lights to follow the ambulance. And I, once the ambulance zoomed off and I decided I shouldn't continue to to follow that ambulance because I'm blowing through red lights, I, I pulled over to the side of the road. And I thought to myself, what I am doing right now, there is no other way to parse what I'm doing right now other than call it what it is, ambulance chasing. I was an ambulance chaser. I didn't ever think I would do such a thing or want to do such a thing. That's not what I was put on the planet to do. I didn't go to college for it. I didn't want to do it even as I was doing it. I just was following a basic instinct to try and be professional and also fear of missing a story. And I thought to myself, this was, I guess, Damon John's red lobster moment where I pulled off to the side of the road and I'm like, I want to be a sportscaster. I do not want to be an ambulance chaser. How do I make this happen? What do I do? And I eventually, I, I applied to graduate school because I was fortunate enough. You heard, as I mentioned, Damon John's mom took out another mortgage on, on their house so she could help finance his business. You know, my parents helped me with student loans and I went to grad school and, you know, eventually got to where I wanted to go, but not before I had that really strange moment of ambulance chasing and having an epiphany behind the wheel of a car in Staten Island, New York saying, I'm an ambulance chaser and I don't want to be one. And I just sat there and decided I'm going to take some steps. And that's how in a way I just got started. So that's it for this episode of just getting started. I want to thank Damon John and everyone else who's helped put this show together from Westwood One. Our next episode of just getting started is going to be up and Adam next week on Friday. So keep an eye out for the next episode of Just Getting Started. Please do subscribe as well and give us that five-star rating. You know you want to. And if you don't, I'll know who you are. I don't usually like to end a show with a, a threatening note, but I just did. And so I guess that's how I'm just getting started. We'll see you next week.